This episode is supported by Bounty Kitchen, one of my absolute favorite Seattle restaurants. Bounty Kitchen is no joke, an extension of my own kitchen, except that there's so much fresh, local, organic, and tasty stuff on the menu there that it takes me forever to decide what I want. The good news is that you literally can't go wrong. Check out greens, beans, and grains dishes like the braised beef bowl, or dive into the vegan and dairy-free Marrakesh market bowl, or try one of my personal favorites for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, the pot liquor bowl. There are also soups, salads, sandwiches, scrambles, and of course, toast, all infused with the deep love and commitment of founder and co-owner and my friend Meg Trainer and her team. Visit Bounty Kitchen at 7 Boston Street in Seattle's Queen Anne neighborhood and check out my interview with Meg from last season of the podcast to learn more about her personal health journey and the inspiration behind Bounty Kitchen. I think that there's even just this kind of personal and professional development movement, we want to be always improving and bettering ourselves and the world around us. And I think that people no longer look at work and play as separate things, but this integrated lifestyle, how can I do that for my work as well? Welcome to Women on the Rise. I'm your host, Laura Dolch, and each week I talk to thriving women about the practical self-care strategies they use to fuel their success and pursue what's most important to them in their careers and lives. We get real about topics like healthy eating, exercise, sleep, stress, time management, happiness, and productivity, while busting myths about work-life balance and being perfect along the way. My goal each week is to uncover a new insight or practical strategy that you can immediately apply to your life to recapture your momentum, mind, body, and soul. Today, I'm talking to Katie Bennett, co-founder and certified coach at Amalavita, an innovative coaching company which helps people to find and design a career that brings them both deep fulfillment and phenomenal success. Katie and I talked about all kinds of stuff, including why looking outside yourself for solutions in career, life, or health isn't a sustainable or effective way to reach your goals, why millennial and younger leaders prioritize mind-body health as a key part of corporate culture, Katie's tips for getting the real scoop on companies company culture before you accept a job, the aha moment in her 20s that caused Katie to reevaluate what happiness and success mean to her, and a few specific questions to ask yourself if you're feeling unfulfilled in your career and life that will lead you to a more fulfilled place. Enjoy the interview. Yeah. So Katie, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. Thank you for having me, Lara. Yeah. Can you actually just lay the groundwork a little bit and give people some background on your business, because I think it's very relevant to our conversation. So let's start there. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm one of the co-founders and also a coach at Ama La Vida. And Ama La Vida is Spanish for love life. And that's really our fundamental philosophy. We believe that you don't need to wait till six o'clock or eight o'clock in the evening or the weekend to be able to love your life. And that everyone should be able to really you know, design and build a career that brings them great fulfillment as well as phenomenal success. And so we work both in the personal space and the corporate space. In the personal space, we really help people in figuring out, first of all, who are they? What do they love? You know, what do they value? What are they good at? And how can they really design and build a career around those insights? And then on the corporate side, we help leaders and organizations develop a culture. Um, Because as we all know, I think that there's a few different aspects of loving your work. And one is obviously what you're doing. And then the other is the people that you're doing it with and the, the culture of the organization that you work with. So we really help organizations develop a culture where people feel safe, 
where people feel that they are supported and motivated. And our key way of doing that is by coaching leaders to coach. So helping them develop the coaching skills that they can really support and empower their team members. Yeah. I love that that's part of what your work focuses on. And I thought that was really interesting. I have so many areas to unpack in what you just said. But I think um, the first thing I'll say is I also love that you're focused on helping people realize that if they get clear on what their values are and what really lights them up, that they can create a career that makes them happy. And I think that a lot of people don't necessarily take the time to do that. So I love that that's your primary focus. And as far as the leaders go, I'm curious about why you think it's so important for leaders to have those coaching skills? Yeah, absolutely. That's a great question. And I think there are a couple of different angles. I think there's kind of the science-backed angle and then just, I guess, like the moral and anecdotal angle. Um, So to start with kind of the research-backed angle, I'm not sure if you've heard of a study called Project Oxygen. No, I haven't. It was conducted by Google um, and it's actually been... So actually, let me back up a little bit. So when Google was founded, the founders of Google actually didn't believe in managers, probably like a lot of people listening and especially a lot of millennials and in the tech space, you know, we've all had a bad manager and thought sometimes no manager can be better than a bad manager. So they thought, you know what, let's actually just have a completely flat structure with zero managers. That did not last too long. (laughs) (laughs) I can't imagine why. Yeah, all of the employees were going directly to them and there was no one really, you know, managing performance and strategy. So they thought, okay, we need some managers, but how can we ensure that we, you know, really can train these managers in the skills they need to be effective and we don't end up with a team of crappy managers like happens so often um, in corporate America and throughout the world. And so in true Google fashion, they used rigorous data and research to try and understand what makes managers effective. And so they did this over 10 years and it's still running today. They're still improving and enhancing and bringing out new insights. But they first arrived with eight key skills that really distinguish exceptional managers from the rest. And surprisingly, the bottom of the list was technical ability. Mm. So at your job. And you see this so often in organizations, you know, it's like, oh, you're really good at what you do. I'm going to promote you to lead this team of 20 people. And I saw, I come from a background of finance. It happened all the time in the companies I worked for. And I used to think, you know what, managing money and managing people are very, very different things. Yes. And that's obvious, but this research really proved that, you know, bottom of the list was technical ability. Top of the list, number one was the ability to coach. That was the number one factor that really distinguished exceptional leaders from the others. And people, especially millennials and upcoming generations, they don't want to be told what to do. They want to be supported. They want to be empowered. They want to feel, you know, they've got a partner that's really helping them develop and grow. And we've really seen that from our own data and the programs that we do. It's the number one thing our clients are looking for in a new organization is growth and development. That's what they really want. Mm -hmm. So ability for leaders to coach equips them with the skills that they can really deliver on that to their team members. Yeah. And how do you define coaching? I mean, obviously I have my own definition, but I'd love to hear from you. Yeah. That's a really good question and a really good point because I feel like the word gets thrown around so often. Yeah. you know, people don't often understand exactly what it means. So that's something we, you know, 
first want to make really clear when we work with organization what coaching really means. And coaching is really about supporting and empowering people to arrive at their own insights and solutions. So, you know, you can work with a mentor or a manager that might kind of guide you in a certain way or tell you what they think you should be doing or based on their own experience. And coaching really takes I mean, sometimes you might want to refer to your own experience for reassurance, but it's really not about that. It's really about understanding the individual and their experience and their context context and their perspective and asking them the right questions to help them think about things a little bit differently and figure out for themselves what's going to be the most powerful solution. And I think that that's the real power of coaching is when we come to, when we arrive at our own insights and help them guide our own solutions, we're not only a lot more committed to it, but the impact and the outcomes are a lot more effective because they're uniquely tailored to who we are. Absolutely. Yeah. I love that definition. I mean, it's, it's so true. It's not, um, I, I often say to my clients that I'm, you know, sort of standing beside them in some ways that I'm their partner in the journey, because I think that, especially for the women that I work with around, you know, mind body health, I think we've all been programmed to look to the outside for the answers. And that just ultimately is not sustainable. And so, yeah, I think you're right. Like a, a successful coach just knows the right questions as, and that's, I say that to my clients too. I'm like, I don't know the answers for you. (laughs) You do. (laughs) I just have a framework and questions that will help you discover those. So I, I love that. Yeah. So, you know, you talked a little bit about this new generation of leaders and how they are prioritizing development. And, you know, when we first connected, you also mentioned that they were prioritizing mind body health as really a vital part of their success and leadership. Can you talk a little bit more about, specific mindsets that you see shifting and and sort of how they inform the way that young leaders are approaching company culture? Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's a superficial shift and a deeper shift. Um, And I'll explain what I mean by that. So more and more organizations, and you see it throughout the media, realize how important culture is and what these millennials and even younger generations are looking for in companies and that it's not just about the paycheck anymore. You know, it's about the culture they're creating. And when I say this superficial shift, you see organizations going, eat, okay, how can we attract these millennials? Okay, let's just throw ping pong tables in the office, (laughs) maybe put some beer on tap, and then, you know, they're going to come flocking to us. That's not what millennials mean when they look for strong culture. Yes, maybe it's fun to play some ping pong at lunch and, you know, to be able to have a beer after work on tap, but that's not as really what they care about. What they really care about is what we were speaking about earlier is feeling supported, empowered, growth, development, understanding of, you know, health and, and, and even outside of work, you know, you see organizations really want to contribute to their employees' well-being. So we are starting to see this shift. It's slow. Um, we are seeing it particularly in the startup space, which, you know, you have these new quickly growing companies that are tended to be led by these millennials and younger generations and realize the importance of supporting their employees. Sometimes there's a conflict between resources and vision, you know, being able to make sure that they can implement a lot of these things that employees want. But sometimes it's not that expensive. It's really just training and helping their leaders really understand the power of how they can support and, and really guide their team members. So I think it's slow and gradual. And I think that, you know, when I work with clients that are looking for strong culture, I really encourage them to look beyond the 
beneath the layer because I think that sometimes organizations market what might seem like a good culture, but what programs are in place, you know, looking to Glassdoor for candid reviews, trying to do some informational interviews because you're yeah, having a fusible table and beer on tap doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be a supportive culture to work. In. That's right. Yeah, no, I, I think that's right. And I think, you know, often you hear companies talking about, you know, employee wellness and, you know, a big umbrella of employee wellness, but there aren't really programs that are designed to be tailored to the individual to support that. Why do you think millennials and younger generations want that? Do you think it's do they see it as a perk or do they actually see it as a vital part of their ability to succeed in the company? So I think that there's a socioeconomic component of it. And this is, you know, I'm speaking in generalizations, there are always exceptions, of course. But, you know, when I think about our parents and grandparents and great grandparents, working was really about the paycheck, right? I've got to get food on the table. I've got to you know, make a living. And then more and more that mindset has shifted. And especially, you know, with generations that didn't go through these world wars and weren't exposed to these deep recessions. And it's like, well, yes, money is important up until a certain point. And, and research backs this. It used to be 70000 I think it's increased a little bit with inflation. But what research says is, yes, money can increase your happiness up until this threshold. But beyond that, it really doesn't have any impact. And where you know the generations are starting to really see that and say, you know what, I want more, you know, yes, money, I need to be able to put food on the table and shelter over my head. But beyond that, I want to make an impact. I want meaning, I want purpose in my life and to be able to make a contribution. And I think that there's just a whole mentality shift, which I think is driven by a lot of different things. So, and sorry, I've gone a little bit off tangent, but I think that there's even just this kind of personal and professional development movement, we want to be always improving and bettering ourselves and the world around us. And I think that people no longer look at work and play as separate things, but this integrated lifestyle, how can I do that for my work as well? Yeah. Yeah. Why do you think it's taking so long to make that shift? Like, cause you know, you said earlier, like it is, it's a, it's slow going. And to me, it's like such an obvious thing to, you know, to those of us who are working in the space where we see that connection between mind, body, wellness and, and success. But yeah, why do you think it, it's such a struggle? You know what I think it is? I think it's, can be, it's getting better, but it's a harder one to measure as a business owner myself. And I think you probably see this. I think Leaders and organizations realize it's important, but they still have targets to meet. They have to be building on the bottom line and they can't see that direct connection in the same way as like, hey, I implement this marketing campaign that increases my conversions by 30%. That increases my bottom line by, you know, 15%. And you don't have that direct link and measurement in the same way that it's a harder one to to demonstrate for their own careers and performance. And it also is a longer, there's a longer lag, you know? So when we coach leaders to coach, it's not like they wake up the next day and all of a sudden that, you know, they are able to empower and motivate their team members and the whole culture of the organization shifts. It takes time. And usually leaders and organizations are looking for quick wins. So I think that that really plays a part 
in it. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe that's something, you know, I can work on together is figuring out what those metrics are, right? Like, cause it drives me crazy. Like I, you're right though. At the end of the day, that's the bottom line is, you know, being able to see as a business owner, being able to see the payoff. Um, and it is much harder to demonstrate. And I, I, uh, I feel like there's something there, Katie, we got to figure it out. Hey there, it's Lara here. Want to take a quick break from the interview to ask you a question. How would your life be different if you felt energetic, healthy, and confident every day? If you feel amazing most days, then great. Keep doing what you're doing. But if you feel a little flabby, frazzled, and maybe even frumpy, if you wake up feeling exhausted and sluggish with no energy to tackle your busy day, then my popular mini class called Powerful Habits of Women on the Rise might be of interest. It's designed to help you find laser-focused, practical, and effective ways to feel vibrant and confident again so you can have, be, and do all that you're meant for in life. And it's free. It begins right in your email inbox in just a few weeks. Visit laradolch.com slash class to reserve your spot in my Powerful Habits of Women on the Rise mini class. That's laradolch.com slash class. So as an entrepreneur building a, a growing company, how do you define wellness at this point in your life? That is a very good question and something that I have been thinking about a lot. And you know, I am so passionate about what I do for work that I think that the the hardest thing for me is sometimes to switch off, not just because of workload, but just because I love it. You know, when my husband and baby are sleeping on the weekend, I like creep upstairs to my office and I get to kind of like that for me is exciting, but I know that that doesn't necessarily, um, that won't connect and, and resonate with everyone. But I think the biggest thing, you know, we had, um, one of, and you might actually know Mandy, she's a Riveter member. She was a coach with Amal Vida, beautiful soul, great coach. And she once said to me, I think that her mother told her growing up that you make a choice in life, whether you're going to be a fountain or whether you're going to be a drain. And that really stuck with me. It's like, do you want to give or do you want to take? And for me, in terms of wellness, it's having the time and the energy to be a fountain, to be a fountain for my friends, to be a fountain for my family, to be a fountain for my business partners and my business. And you need to, in order to be a fountain, you need to be well yourself. You know, you can't give from an empty bucket, the good old saying, how the good old saying goes, which is true. And so for me, wellness is having the mindset and energy to be able to be a fountain. I love that analogy too. That's real. I, I, yeah, I think I do know. Man, yeah, I do know Mandy. It's been a while. I haven't seen her. But was there some kind of turning point in your story around that? In your self care story is what I like to call it. Like something that an experience that really woke you up to its importance. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't necessarily think it was this like one aha moment that I was like going on a beautiful beach walk and it's just. <laughs> <laughs> as I'd like to, I'd like to be able to find that one moment. I think it was more a cumulative thing and a series of events. And I think a lot of people can relate to this story, but I grew up in Australia, but I think it's very similar here in the US that, you know, I ticked all the right boxes. You know, I went to school, I got good grades, I got into college, you know, I had to get that degree, get good grades, get a good job. And I did all of that very successfully and very quickly. And I found myself in my early 20s working for these big finance companies, wearing a suit to work with this great big paycheck. And I had ticked all the boxes that I thought meant success, but I was miserable. And I thought, 
how can I be so successful and so miserable at the same time? And what I realized was that I hadn't defined what success meant to me. I had taken society's definition of success. It was difficult. I had to step back and really reassess, like, what do I want? What does success look like to me? And I think that self-reflection, self-exploration, that journey really helped clarify the importance of measures beyond money and title, but determining success with self-care being a very big one. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Well, and now obviously it's a big piece of what you help other people do. Can you talk about some specific questions to ask yourself or, you know, if there are listeners who are in a similar situation, like anything that helped you figure that out? Yeah, absolutely. So I think one of the big things, and obviously, you know, depends whether you're specifically thinking about career. So we help a lot of people predominantly in the career space, people that aren't feeling fulfillment in their career. But I think it expands beyond that. Even if, you know, maybe you do love what you do, but you're just feeling drained, defeated, um, and you're looking for more fulfillment. It sounds really simple, but we don't often step back to ask ourselves these questions. We're just go, 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 particularly in today's busy world, social media, technology. So I would say, first of all, to to give yourself a moment to reflect and to just stop, you know, turn off your social media, turn off your phone and really do some deep exploration in asking yourself, think about a time in your life where you did feel really full, really fulfilled, really energetic, and you felt at your, your best self. What were the conditions? You know, what was it about that time? Was it the people you were surrounding yourself with? Were you on a great diet, eating good food, working out all the time? Were you in a job that you loved? What were the things that, you know, helped you feel that way? And then on the flip side, think about a time, and maybe it's right now where you felt, you know, completely flat, drained, defeated. What were the drivers and contributors to that? What were the things going on around you? And then you might not be able to fully replicate that time of fulfillment, but if you can look at what were the key things, okay, maybe I was working out, maybe I was really surrounding myself by really great, inspiring people. And then looking at that situation where you feel drained, you know, are those the things that are missing? If so, what can you do to bring more of that into your life? And that might start at a higher level and then to go down into more specifics, you know, what are the things that give me energy? You know, do I love being around other people and how can I bring more of these things into my life? So really doing that deep reflection of what's missing, um, particularly we spoke a little bit about values, you know, what do I value? What do I care about? Is my life aligned with these things? And if not, what small changes? And I'm going to emphasize small because often we think we need to make this big dramatic move. And sometimes it's just really, really small tweaks that we can make in our life to really make a really big impact. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, and I think that's right. Thinking about different times in your life and how those times made you feel, it gives you clues to, you know, what to add back in. And also it reminds me of, um, I don't know if you're familiar with Dr. Martin Seligman. He's sort of one of the pioneers in positive psychology. There's a a survey on his website, authentichappiness.org. That is the values in action. um, I think, what is it called? Values in action character strengths. Have you seen this? It's a great tool to help people because the the idea as I'm sure you know is that you know when we use our strengths in our day-to-day lives we have a higher sense of well-being and so that tool helps you identify what those strengths are and then you to your point you can find ways to use them in your life and add them you know add them back in and sometimes it's so simple you know I had a client who one of his big passions and values was adventure and outdoors, like getting outdoors. And he worked in the tech space behind a screen in an office like so many of us do. 
And it was something so simple. He changed one meeting a week to be a walking meeting. And such a big impact, you know, in his day. And so again, like they can just be little, little changes. Um, but quickly on Martin Seligman, yeah, he's been a, a huge influence of mine as well. Um, and he has this uh, concept or acronym PERMA. Yes. R-M-A, which is, and hopefully I get them all right, but positive emotion, engagement, relationships, meaning, and accomplishment. And these are the five pillars to a fulfilling life. And as you can see, you know, money doesn't really feature there, but it's like these, this holistic approach. And I think that that's so important to remember that, you know, relationships, engagement, meaning, fulfillment, these are the things that are really going to either lift you up or pull you down if they're missing. That's right. Yeah. You should listen to, I actually interviewed uh, last season, I interviewed Dr. Sasha Hines who graduated from, she was in the first class that graduated from the master's in applied positive psychology at UPenn. And she's fascinating uh, interview. Yeah. So, yeah. So I'm curious if there's a self-care decision in particular, you know, some kind of decision that you made that had kind of a disproportionate effect on your sense of well-being and success. Was there one thing maybe that you can think of that's, you know, was sort of surprising what a difference it made. Yeah, I think there are probably two things. One was, and this one probably quite obvious, but I mentioned that I, my former career was in finance and not that finance is a bad career choice. My husband still works in finance and, and loves it. It was just a bad career choice for me. And I think that's the point, figuring out you know, there's no right or wrong career. There's no right or wrong lifestyle, but there is a right and wrong one for you. And so figuring out who you are, what you enjoy, what you value, and then how you can craft a career and lifestyle around that. And I was just in the wrong one. And so that, you know, it took a lot of courage, especially, you know, as I said, making good money had a great title, but I realized that wasn't enough. And so it took a lot of courage to step away and to really figure out what I wanted, but definitely was a very defining moment in in changing you know, my trajectory and and my fulfillment in life. And then the second one, I think was actually when I moved from Australia to Seattle, from Sydney to Seattle, it kind of gave me a blank canvas. I think sometimes when we grow up in the environment that we were born in and have always lived in and always known, you kind of form certain habits. And even some of the people you surround yourself with, they might be great people, but I kind of call them legacy friends. You might've met them when you were three and you've changed as a person that, you know, you're maybe not surrounding yourself with people that are aligned with your values and your passions. And moving to Seattle, I knew no one and nothing. And I had this blank canvas to figure out what I wanted life to be about, how I wanted to spend my time, the type of people I wanted to connect with. And I kind of feel like it just, I recreated myself and my life in a really positive and powerful way. And that was really exciting. I love that you mentioned that. I love the idea of legacy friends, like who are, you know, in many ways, amazing and wonderful to have. And yes, to your point, if you change or, you know, when you change over time, because we all do, we sometimes forget that the people around us are having that kind of dramatic effect on on where we're headed. Yeah, I love that. So what are three things you can't live without when it comes to self-care? They could be products or habits or mindsets or apps, whatever. You know, it's so, I feel the word mindset that you just touched on, I think is so important to wellness, especially like, I think wellness is a mindset for me anyway. And it's so hard to, I guess, identify or define 
three unique things in, I, I see it as being, um, an everyday habit and all the accumulation of lots of little things. But if I did have to narrow it down, I mean, I think there's the general things like I, without a doubt, what you eat, exercise, those kind of things make a big difference in our family and our household. We're very much about energy and attitude and in terms of like three things are definitely a person that has really shaped my wellness journey has been my husband, even for accountability. I mean, as a coach, I know the importance of accountability, but the accountability of not just how your energy is affecting you, but how it's affecting your family, your friends, all the people that you're around and that attitude and that choice of, again, kind of coming back to this fountain or a drain, but how do I, what do I want to carry? How do I want to influence other people? So that mindset and that constant reminder of the attitude I'm carrying and the energy I'm carrying has been really, really important and a big shift for me. And then I think sunshine. <laughs> sunshine. Yes, in Seattle, it's at a premium for sure. Yeah, it is, but it does. And you know, it's even just making those first few years in Seattle, I timed all of my vacations wrong. You know, I went to Hawaii <laughs> or July and everyone was like, why are you leaving Seattle in July? You know, and I was like, well, you know, Hawaii, it's around the corner. It's like, no, you don't leave Seattle in July. So I learned that just in those kind of long gray seasons, just to take a weekend somewhere sunny and, and to just re reinvigorate yourself. Um, it just really helps with obviously the vitamin D, but getting outdoors, eating healthy. And then thirdly, I think I'm a, I'm a big fan of vitamins and, and herbs or herbs. I know in, in the U S we'd say, um, but I have an amazing naturopath who really changed my life about six years ago when I was having all kinds of gut problems. And she put me on this regime with probiotics and all these great stuff. And it, it, like, I was like, wow, you know, I really saw the power of what you're putting in your body, obviously from a food perspective, but if you've got any gaps in what you're missing. And so, and you know, it's not, again, it's going to be based very much on the individual and what you need and what you're lacking. But, you know, I take my daily vitamins, my probiotics, and I can really tell when I don't. So I think that would be number three for me. Yeah, that's great. I love that. So what's next for you? What are you excited about? Oh, so many things. <laughs> I don't know where to start. I think as, as you know, I'm actually about to make a big move back to Australia to launch Amala Vida Australia. So we're going to be really bringing our programs and technology into the Aussie market, which I'm super excited about because I think that there's, you know, a huge market for what we do down there. And I'm just really, really excited to bring my son back back to Australia for him to be around his family and cousins as well and to build our team down there. And I know that my business partners and my Amala Vida team are pretty excited about that as well because hopefully we'll have an Australian Christmas party one year. So <laughs> I think that there's a lot going on, but that's just definitely something I'm, I'm a little bit nervous about, but definitely more excited about. That's great. And where can people learn more about you and Amala Vida? Yeah. So the best place is our website, which is alvcoaching.com. And there you can kind of check out all our different programs. But even if you just want a taste for what we do, um, you can sign up for our newsletter. And each week we send great just personal and professional development tips, resources and challenges. And so that's a really good place to start. Thank you so much, Katie. This was so valuable. I know my listeners are going to love it. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me, Lara. 
That's it for this week's episode of Women on the Rise. Visit lauridolch.com slash podcast for show notes and resources mentioned in this episode. You can download other episodes of this podcast and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, and Spotify. If you liked what you heard, please rate and review the podcast. It's a huge help to the show and I truly appreciate it. This episode was produced by me with editing help from Dave Nelson at Lens Group Media. Tune in every week for new interviews that give you the practical tools you need to recapture your momentum, mind, body, and soul. Oh,